0: You're listening to the City World Radio Network, high definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world. (laughs) www.cityworldradio.com. Good evening, and welcome to Morph Mom Moments. For those of you joining us again, thank you for coming back and. Great night you picked to come back because we have such an amazing guest. For those new to us tonight, welcome, and I hope you enjoy yourself. A quick introduction. My name is Kathleen Smith. Um, I started Morph Mom about six years ago. I had been a prosecutor, stopped to raise my kids, wanted to go back, but couldn't go back to law, couldn't figure out what to do. So rather than reinvent the wheel, I started Morph Mom, and I started to interview women all over the country telling the stories about what they had done, how they figured out what to do next, how they did it, steps they took, steps that they took that were not the best thing to do, which I always think is invaluable to share, and sort of how they continued with what they're doing in hopes that this would help others out there trying to figure out their own next steps. So what began as a website alone with just the videos, Um, we sort of each year we grew. We started to write for Huffington Post, and we've shared many of the women's stories, in the Huffington Post, which are great to read. Um, We started doing cocktail parties in different cities around the country to connect these women and sort of begin a supportive community. Um, We now have this radio show, which is so fun, which will also be up on a podcast on iTunes tomorrow. And we teach small classes, and we're very excited that in about a week, on February 4th, we're hosting our fifth conference called What's Next, which, again, we share women's stories about what they're doing. All our panelists will share how they did it, what they're doing, what steps they suggest others should take, and hopefully the audience is inspired, empowered, and um, feel connected when they're done. So basically, that's Morph them in a nutshell. And if you're interested, you can go to dot com to learn any anything about this, and also to hear the podcast tomorrow. You can go directly to the website to pull it up from iTunes. So without, <laughs> I'm sure everyone is done listening to me, and without further ado, I'm at Absolutely honored and thrilled to introduce my guest this evening. She's the author of Pandora's Lunchbox, a freelance journalist featuring uh, focusing mostly in science and health. Previously, a business reporter for the New York Times, senior writer for Fortune Magazine, and a blogger for CBSNews.com. Melanie Warner uh, is now residing in Honolulu with her family, and her most recent work is her book, The Magic Feather: The Science of Alternative Medicine and the Surprising Power of Belief. And I think this is so topical right now, and I'm just so excited to discuss this and learn tonight, Melanie. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Uh, It'll be really fun um, to learn about just the way this book came about and everything you've learned and just what's out there. So tell us a little bit um, how you decided to write this book and how you went about doing the
1: research. Yeah, well, I've been... I've been writing about food for a number of years, as you mentioned. Um, My my first book was on the the food industry and food science and and a look at how food has changed so dramatically over the last hundred years and a little bit of an inside look at at the food industry and the factories that uh, make our food. And um, so I consider myself a a business writer and, and also kind of a health writer and a science writer. and. There was a point in time where I started to, my agent actually had a conversation with me where she started talking about alternative medicine, and it just sparked something that I'd always noticed about the debate over different types of alternative medicine, which was that it was so polarized. You had Mm -hmm. people on one side who were arguing for kind of seemingly miraculous cures and saying that different types of therapies could heal you of almost any ailment, and they believed so fervently in it. And then you had people on the other side, the skeptics, a lot of doctors and, and scientists who said this is all nonsense and people are are pretty much wasting their time and their and their money. So I was intrigued by that and I wanted to know I really wanted to know what the real story was because I think as with many polarized debates, the real story lies somewhere in the in the rich middle ground.
0: Right now, is it true that I read somewhere that each year there are millions of Americans
1: that seek out some type of alternative medicine? They do, yeah. The numbers are definitely in in the millions. Um, yeah, the the biggest type of alternative medicine is supplements and vitamins. Those are considered alternative. Um, I didn't look at that in my book, but some of the other popular ones are uh, breathing exercises and, and meditation, mindfulness meditation. I looked at that a little bit. Um, chiropractic is is extremely popular. Um, yoga is certainly growing in popularity. Tai Chi and Qigong. Um, I looked at that as well. And then, and then you have acupuncture um, and also energy healing. So all of these things are alternatives that people are seeking out because they feel like for certain conditions or problems that they're having, the, the standard medicine that they're getting from their doctors isn't providing enough of a solution. And they're saying, you know what, I'm going to seek something else out and see if this can help me.
0: And when you started... To do the research for the book, like where did you begin? Did you begin with the patients, with the doctors? Like, what was your approach?
1: I don't know. It was so long ago. Now I (laughs) I (laughs) struggle. It's all blurred together. Um, I started. um, I started for you know one of the first things I I started doing was I, I wanted to figure out which you know which therapies to focus on. So I looked at which ones were the most popular. So I looked at some of those numbers and then I also started kind of listening to what people were telling me as I was was talking about writing this this book and I would hear so many stories from people about seemingly miraculous healing cures um, or just that someone just thought that they had been helped or they went to a a fantastic healer that I just needed to talk to. And these just sort of came out of the woodwork. I didn't I didn't necessarily go, go looking for them. So I started paying attention to some of those and started listening to what, what people were telling me. And then I would go and talk to some of these, these people, these healers, these practitioners, to hear about what they did and what their their methods were. And then from there, I kind of, you know, it was sort of a process of that and weaving in uh, scientific research. And I spent so much time on PubMed, if people know what that is, um, looking at scientific studies Reading, trying to get the full study, read the whole study, and I spent so much time talking to incredibly smart, talented scientists, especially neuroscientists, and um, and kind of sort of tried to put the two two pieces together in in that way. So, when you would do the research on some of these stories,
0: or even on on certain cases, do do they look at what medical work they've had done, like what doctors they've seen before they decide to switch to alternative medicine?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, some a lot of people did it, okay, so a lot of people that I talked to seemed to first start with uh, their doctor and standard medicine. They got lots of tests. Um, sometimes they even had surgeries and different procedures, um, took lots of different medications to try and help them, and they turned to alternative medicine when they felt, um, just at, at wit's end and at a loss. They, they couldn't find anything that helped them, especially this this tends to be true. A lot of the, the number one thing driving people to alternative medicine is actually back pain. That's the biggest condition. And then if you look at chronic pain conditions more broadly, that's the biggest thing that people, that people feel like they aren't getting the answers and the solutions mm-hmm. they need from their doctor, and they, they start trying something else. So, yeah, I talk to a lot of people who just um, – said, you know what, I don't want to suffer anymore, I'll I'll try anything.
0: And when they make this commission, what kind of training is there for the doctors
1: or those practicing the alternative medicine? Well, it depends on what type of alternative medicine. Some have training, some don't. Mm -hmm. Uh, For acupuncturists, they are required to be licensed, it's a licensed profession, so they have to go to, I'm just forgetting if it's a two or three year school. And there's a number of schools throughout the country that teach acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine. And then you have to pass a licensing exam. For chiropractic, it's the same thing. You go to school and you get, you get licensed. But for something like energy healing, which includes things like recce or therapeutic touch and a whole bunch of other things, uh, there's no certification or standardization of those. Some people have created their own brand. I wrote about one mm-hmm. woman does Eden Energy Medicine, and she created her own certification program. So, but there's oh, wow. no um, there's no state organized uh, certification program for those. So, so it's a little bit less, um, you know, consistent um, on what you're getting when you go to those to those practitioners.
0: And I guess maybe that's sort
1: of a word of mouth thing. Like,
0: you know, I felt so much better after I left there. You have to go there.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think a lot of it also is the connection people feel. To to another person, so yeah. I think that I mean some people are some people who are doing this work. I think are extremely charismatic. The woman I just mentioned, Donna Eden, I wrote about her because I think she's incredibly charismatic and has a, a kind of warmth and empathy and um, spirit that draws people to her. And I think she has, if there is such a thing as a healing personality, um, she has it. So so there are people people like that. But to some extent, it's also about who do you connect to, you know, what kind of people are you going to relate to, and, and also right. what kind of practices. Some people just would hate the idea of having needles stuck in them, but they're okay with someone pressing on, on their spine and doing chiropractic.
0: Well, and that's a big part of what you write about, too. And you mentioned, I think, um, there was a Dr. Hunter, I think, from Harvard Medical School that you said or, or discussed that um, empathy and human connection were missing, or in, in many ways missing in traditional medicine. And just in today's in today's time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I wanted to look at with this book was, okay, are these are these practices the the ones that I've been talking about and the ones I looked at in the book are are they effective? Do they help people? You know, are, right. or are they just useless, like the skeptics say? Right. People just think that they're being helped, but they're really not. And and what I found is they are. We don't have a lot of scientific evidence for things like energy healing, but acupuncture has surprisingly been studied a whole lot. There have been some really good um, large rigorous clin- clinical trials done in the last couple decades that show that acupuncture can be effective as compared to what people are getting from their doctors like drugs and doctor visits so so then I, you know then you have to look and say well how how are these things working like what's what's really going on here and that led me to a discussion of the placebo effect, um, or what we call the placebo effect, which is a kind of amorphous term. You know, it's, it's one aspect of, of mind-body interactions. And so what, what a lot of very smart researchers that are studying alternative therapies and studying the placebo effect think is that there is this um, kind of rich, they call it a therapeutic interaction between a, a doctor or a practitioner and their patient that has a lot of things going on that can that can make a big difference in how someone fe- in in the outcomes people have and the way that their symptoms can be shifted in a positive way because of someone feeling like um, you know that they they have more hope about uh, their treatment they feel like someone is in their corner helping them along the way um, they feel the sense of um, attention on them. They feel understood. Uh, someone's paying attention. Someone, you know, someone's touching them in a way that makes their body feel relaxed or calm or good in some way. So these are all the things that um, I think are present in these alternative practices or some of these alternative practices that um, are actually making them effective.
0: And through that touch and that, I, and I guess, you, and even that, your brain can sort of. Begin. I think you mentioned somewhere that many believe that the brain can actually enhance your immune system and can sort of help, or, or people believe, can help begin recovery or help begin um, going the opposite direction. And is that part of the theory that it's because of that mind-body-soul connection that that's something behind
1: it? Yeah, these are all brain-based mechanisms that we're we're talking about, like the placebo effect, the changing of your mindset. So that could be, you know, how you feel about your illness or your disease, how you feel about your body, like do you feel helpless and like you're never going to get better, or do you have a sense of, you know what, I was strong once, I didn't have pain once, or whatever it is, Um, I can get back to that, you know, and this person is helping me. Um, You know, a feeling of um, relaxation and the absence of of stress. These are all things that, that can cause real shifts in, in the brain and the way the brain is wired, and um, that in turn can have a profound effect in how we feel in our body. It's it's an interesting. I wanted I explored this in the book. It's you know trying to kind of understand that brain body connection because I I think it's it's really fascinating. There's still much more science to be done, um, but we know the, the the brain is such a complex, um, fascinatingly mind boggling. Complex organism, and there's there's much more that we can do with it.
0: So, with the dichotomy between you know the science versus the alternative medicine approach, you said you spoke to neurosurgeons, and did, did is there a, a meeting of the minds that the brain is that powerful? Whether you're coming at it from alternative or you're coming at it from you know medicinal or, or science?
1: Yeah, I mean, I what I came away concluding was that when, when we talk about um, using our minds to help us heal, um, which, is a, which is a very real, real thing. And for instance, like for the placebo effect, I mean, it was, it was discarded for many, many decades as something that wasn't very important. We had, everyone, doctors knew it existed and researchers knew it existed and you had to control for it when you ran studies on drugs. But no one thought to study it seriously as a real phenomenon until recently. In the last couple of decades, there's a lot of really interesting placebo research done showing that it's a real neuro, neurobiological phenomenon in the brain, where neurotransmitters like endorphins are released to um, actually block signals coming up from the body in a way that uh, either you know turns off pain or or blocks it entirely.
0: And um, again, is that? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Is that through your research? Alternative medicine um, have, has come up with with a way to do that approach. That, as well as there, a scientific way to, to approach that with the endorphins and the. You need to turn on the placebo oh, yeah. effect, or to give yeah. people
1: placebo yes, response. Yes, to turn, yeah, to get the response. Yeah, well, certainly, um, researchers know how to do that. They they have labs that they set up to test the placebo effect, and they they figured out how to do it. I went to a lab at the University of Maryland with a placebo researcher there, and she hooked me up to her, what I called her pain chair, where she sent heat signals to my arm on a box. And um, she buried the heat signals, and she did a number of things. And it was actually fascinating, even though I knew I was in a placebo lab, so I knew that there was some trick going on. I didn't know exactly <laughs> what it was. I still felt, um, or I still had a pretty strong placebo response. She considered me a a high placebo responder Um, to the point where I didn't, you know, she was having me rate my pain from a scale of 1 to 10. And so what had previously, just a few minutes earlier, felt I rated like an 8 or a 9. It was really, really hot. And thankfully, it was only on for a few seconds, but it felt super scalding. Um, Now felt like a 2 or a 3, like a warm washcloth on my hand or something. Um, and so I, I literally no longer felt the intensity of that signal that was coming up from my arm. I didn't feel the pain. So it was it was fascinating to realize that not you know it is a real scientific phenomenon. But I think in terms of alternative practitioners and, and doctors too, I, this is certainly not exclusive to the alternative medicine community. Um, there are many who I think have just intuitively they might not call it they don't probably don't call it a placebo effect. But intuitively understand how to interact with their patients or their clients. They intuitively understand what they need, what kind of conversations to have or not have, even ways or to touch their body, um, just how to approach the whole encounter and the whole situation. Because they, you know, they they that's what they focus on. I mean, that's their approach. I mean, they're also doing their particular therapy, whether it's needles or hands or hands hovering or whatever. But um, you know, but they don't have all the other Tests and pills and devices that doctors have that are, um, you know, sort of in some in some ways you can look at those as, as a distraction from this element of medicine. Doctors are at a disadvantage, and you mentioned the the Harvard dean that I met with. He I talked to him about that at length. That doctors are taught in medical school, at least at Harvard, about these kind of what you could call softer psychological aspects of medicine, which he thinks are incredibly important. Um, but they tend to get lost amid the hustle and bustle of modern medicine and all the other things that doctors have to do.
0: I, I, re- I did an interview recently with a doctor who had written a book about how how just diagnostically and, and medicine has become so different, be it through the pressures of insurance companies and having to get as many patients in as you can at a time. They've kind of lost the, like you were saying, that, the connection, the communication, and they've kind of lost the opportunity to establish the dialogue that years and years ago was such a big part of it. Now there really is no time for that dialogue in the in the communi- you know the the communication part of it. Um, and do you think do you see sort of as as that goes down, you know, as, as if you were looking at a scale and you see that there's less and less time for the communicating with that, the alternative medicine has just gone has increased dramatically. And perhaps that is a big part of it.
1: Yeah, sure. Those are things that it's easier for alternative medicine to offer. Like I was saying, they don't have to, you know, they're not getting like emergency situations coming in, right? And they're not getting life-threatening things usually. Right. So people are coming in with more chronic illnesses that that lend themselves to this approach. Um, People are probably, you know, stressed out, needing someone to... uh, and really connect with them. You have these half-an-hour sessions or an hour in some cases. You're on a, a table um, relaxing. Um, you're talking one-on-one to someone, maybe before or after that. Sometimes the lighting is dim. Sometimes there's music. It's a very different setting than um, standard conventional medicine, which is not to to say that you can't, as a doctor, you can't create those empathetic connections. Um, it just make, The system just makes it a lot harder for you to do right.
0: so. What is the insurance with um, with this type of medicine?
1: Sometimes people's insurance will cover it, particularly chiropractic. That's the one that's the most covered. Sometimes you'll get acupuncture covered, but that's less less common. I'm pretty sure no one would cover um, tai chi or... Um, mindfulness meditation classes, unless you have a very progressive insurance company. Maybe they, you know, like Kaiser, I think. We have Kaiser here in Hawaii, and I think they offer classes and some of that stuff. Um, but most insurance companies will not cover that, and, and certainly not energy links, in part because they're not licensed. So. so
0: when you went into this and doing this research, um, did you – Sort of have a set feeling about it, or do you go into it pretty open minded to see, it, you know, if you believed it worked or didn't work? What was your sort of opinion going in or feeling going into it?
1: I tried to be open minded. I, I, you know, I like to think that I was going in open minded. Yeah. To really look at were these things working and, and how? I I had a certain skepticism about what um, some some of the mechanisms behind how they work. Some of the the narrative that acupuncturists and energy healers and even to some extent chiropractors talk about, about how their therapies work. Um, So things like uh, chi, you know, sort of an invisible force flowing in the body. That's what acupuncturists are doing when they put needles. The theory is that they're um, manipulating chi. So they're drawing it out from one area of the body and rerouting it to another area it's an incredibly elaborate system about where Chi flows and the meridians that it flows on. Um, and same with energy healing. They sometimes have different names for it and talk about it different, in different ways. But, you know, I knew that scientists have never acknowledged the, the reality of this. It's it's never really been directly measured or tested or in any way um, observed by, by science. And I just thought that the idea that in our current state of um, scientific knowledge that we would just miss this major thing happening in the body <laughs> entirely. You know, I just didn't, it didn't seem super <laughs> plausible. But at the same time, I didn't want to dismiss it out of hand and say, oh, that's just silly and nonsense. So I, so I did, um, I did do a number of things. I took a, a class, an online class, and seeing and perceiving life force energy, it was called. Um, I went to a couple of energy healing um, Seminars and weekends, where we tried to feel energy, and there were all these demonstrations that supposedly showed it. But for one reason or another, I didn't ultimately find very believable. And I, I write about it in one one chapter in the book. So, so I don't want to, you know, put any, all of that down and say. But, I mean, people certainly are not making this up. But I think right. from, if you come at it from a scientific point of view. It's hard to believe that that's how these therapies are working.
0: Now, although some may may not have registered with you, did others register, register with you more than you had expected going into it? Like, were you sort of surprised at
1: your reaction to them? Oh, some. You mean some of the therapies that I did? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the the most interesting was when I got a, I got a recce treatment at the Cleveland Clinic. So a lot, a lot of major hospitals and university hospitals around the country have what they call integrative medicine centers or wellness institutes or something like that. And the Cleveland Clinic had, had one, and I and I spent some time there. And so I got a recce treatment, and it was, I mean, all these treatments, they, they put you in an incredibly relaxed state, which is quite, you, you know, um, a, gift. Quite a welcome feeling, <laughs> right, as you go through your life to be yeah. sort of zoned out, right? Um, but. With, with Recky, I was very relaxed, but I also had a kind of interesting sensation of, it was a combination of touch, you know, light touch, and then where the woman who was doing it, the, the Recky healer, was not touching me, and she was just hovering her, I, I had my eyes closed, so I, I think she was hovering about a couple inches off my skin, and I could feel her hands, or I could feel something as she was hovering her hands and not not touching me. It was kind oh, of you know, like a ghostly feeling, like I was brushing up against something, maybe. Um, so I wasn't expecting that. I thought that was really, really interesting. And and when I mentioned it to her after the treatment, she said something about that I was feeling energy from her hands. And I did I said okay, and you know I didn't. I didn't want to contradict her, but I, you know, I think it probably had some, something to do more with uh, feeling heat from her hands and on the, you know, because we have hair on our skin that, and I only felt, I noticed that I only felt it on areas of my body that were bare, so so like my uh, my arms and, and my hands and actually on my head, too, so I could have been feeling it from my hair on my skin and on my head. That's very interesting, actually. Yeah. So with all of these different
0: methods, do you believe, um, and they're all so different, but that possibly acupuncture and, um, and the chiropractors provide more of a hybrid between the two, between alternative and traditional, as opposed to the others that may
1: be a little bit more to the alternative side. I think a lot of chiropractors now are fairly, I mean, they're doctors of chiropractic, so they're not medical doctors, but they do, they go to school, and so they have a good, Basis of understanding about the physiology and the anatomy of the human body, um, and and a lot of them are very, um, you know, ra- have a very common sense, scientifically based, ra- rational approach to their practice. Where I where I take issue a little bit with chiropractic is that you know they they talk about, and I, I write about this in a, in a chapter in, in my book where I. Visit chiropractors and talk to researchers that are researching these methods. It's probably not not working exactly as they as they say. So, for instance, like the joint um, manipulation that they do, um, and especially when they try to elicit the pops or the cracks. If people yeah. have ever been to a chiropractor, and they feel very relieving, and sometimes your chiropractor will tell you that they're and it might feel too like they're pushing the joint back into place. When that's not the thinking is among researchers, that's not that's not really what ha- what's happening. The joint they're certainly moving the joint, but it goes right back into the the place it was in originally. And the, the popping noise is not the joint moving; it's actually the popping of a bubble of joint fluid that's formed because of some joint movement or tension that you've had, and it feels relieving because uh, they think of the way that the joint fluid is spraying tiny little nerves in, inside the joint. Um, so. You know, the thinking on these—yeah, the thinking on these, yeah, these therapies—it's it's, it's still evolving, but it's it's probably not exactly as um, people be, people are being told.
0: And yet, would you say of all of the? I think you mentioned earlier. I think meditation was the most visited of these of this type. But going to the chiropractor was maybe second to that.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, forgetting all the numbers, but I want to say, I mean, it's it's like. Like around 18, million, um, I'm just kidding, uh, around 18 million people every year go to, to visit a chiro- chiropractor. Wow. Not I think it's 19 million. And then 24 million people do meditation or breathing exercises. And then yeah. acupuncture is much less. It's about 3 million. And, and then um, energy healing is about 1 million.
0: I wonder of those 18 million that go to the chiropractor, how many first went to maybe get an X-ray or go to... You know, went to an orthopedist or whatever it was they were seeking help with. I wonder how many first went that
1: route. Right. I don't yeah, I mean, you know, the mostly they're they're treating back pain, and mm-hmm. I, I think that that chiropractors tend to focus a little bit too much on one of the one of the more surprising and fascinating areas of research um, in doing this book that I that I discovered things that I didn't know is about the. The neurobiology of chronic pain. So, chronic pain is devi- defined as anything that's lasting three months or more, which is kind of the span of, of normal healing. And there's all this research that that um, that scientists are doing that show there are these really interesting changes that happen in the brain when people have chronic pain. You see more activity and more connection between this this, this uh, typical pain centers in the brain and Centers for memory and emotion, and so chronic pain looks to be something that's just as much has much just as much to do with the brain as it does with the body, and I think that especially, and I think that's especially true for for back pain. And this is not this is a general statement, so it's not everyone's okay. case in all cases. Um, but I think chiropractors over focus on the mechanical bodily aspects of. Back pain, and say, and they talk about how vertebrae are out of alignment, and discs have slipped, and things are cracked, and
0: or it's all coming from when, your hips.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> When nothing think, to do back. I mean, there's been yeah. fascinating research done on on people who um, are you know healthy, pain free, no back pain, and high, a surprisingly high percentage of them show oh, you actually have what would be considered a herniated disc. You actually have um, disc deterioration in two of your discs. you know, And and so those things are not, and, and they have no pain from it, they would not know it if, if they hadn't gotten an MRI or an X-ray. And so those things are not necessarily a guarantee that you're going to have back pain.
0: So you're saying sort of how the brain comes in with the memory of the pain. So sometimes, I don't know if this is the right um the right way to think about it. But for example, if you have torn a hamstring or I don't know, or something and you, it's, it's, it's repaired, you know, you're better. You're out years later, you're still out there, but you almost have that phantom pain again in that same area. It's more the memory of what happened as opposed to the actual injury that's causing it. Is that sort of?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, if if you still have the pain, sure. Yeah. If you're, if you're pain free, I mean, you can always get the memory of it right from, of movement might trigger it, um, which is its only an issue if it becomes a chronic thing and you're experiencing that, that pain all the time. But the thinking is that it the more pain you have, the better the brain gets, because pain is an experience created by the brain, right? That, that was kind of a, a concept that researchers in- introduced me to, that it's, it's a phenomenon that's it's created, it's informed by the body, right? we got all kinds of signals coming up. And certainly if we whack our toe on something, it's, it's sort of instantaneous, but it's still something, it's like a decision the brain makes. It's a protective mechanism to protect you from something. So the more pain you have, the better your your brain is at creating it. And so people, people do tend, and none of this is a conscious thing. No, nobody intends to put themselves in, you know, give themselves back pain for five years, but but we do it. it we do develop um, kind of kind of mindsets that keep us that do keep us in pain. And there's lots of fear avoidance. You know, we become afraid of our afraid of our pain. Mm-hmm. We pay pay too much attention to it. Um, we start to think that the pain must mean that my back is all out of whack, or my knee is completely shot, or all these things. And, and we start to develop this this. Story, which turns into brain, you know, different brain wiring that's connected to our emotions, um, our, you know, our fear and our uh, feelings about our pain, um, and maybe previous memories as well are tied in. That that create a system in the brain that that keep us in pain and perpetuate the pain when the signals coming up from the body are yes, real, not necessarily strong enough to produce to to automatically produce pain.
0: So and and that and you're saying how it affects your emotions too. This chronic pain, whether or not you're saying it is even as extreme, extreme as it as it's perceived to be, can even then cause some sort of a depression too. right? if you're if you're in this chronic pain emotionally,
1: then you can go into a depression. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's how it's how we read our pain. What do we think our pain is is signaling to us? That that plays that can play a huge role in. In keeping people in pain, and if, and if you ex- experience pain on a day-to-day level, uh, day in and day out, and it, 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 it the things you're doing to help it don't seem to help, I mean, that that is absolutely a recipe for, for depression. No, there's no doubt about it. So, I mean, I, I read,
0: too, that recently some hospitals have begun to offer integrated medicine within the hospitals themselves. And can you talk a little bit about that, too? Are, are they... Are some reluctant to introduce it, and how did other doctors feel about introducing it or bringing it in?
1: Most of the the hospitals I I went to or places where I talked to people. It, they had it separate in a, a center. Now maybe that center was actually residing in the hospital, but they oh, sort okay. of try to they sort of try to corral it off a little bit to say, <laughs> well, this is an alternative for people that you want it. You can come, but not all the way in. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We're sort of, you know, embracing this with one arm, and <laughs> and so it doesn't. Uh, but 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 plenty of doctors who are not part of that refer their patients to it, and cancer centers in particular. Uh, most of the major cancer centers actually offer acupuncture. Um, but really, as a part of their services. And, yeah, and sometimes they'll do it actually in the hospital in those cases, um, or sometimes or other in other instances they they will have a center, but not to deal with the. Um, you know, the tumor, shrinking the tumor, um, or even pre- preventing cancer from coming back. It's to deal with the, the pain and the other symptoms that go along with cancer and with the treatments of cancer nausea, um, fatigue, um, sleeplessness, things like that.
0: Now, that leads me to getting into more specific stories that you learned about and researched. For example, someone, you know, a cancer patient who may have opted to alternative medicine and may have you know, the a tumor may have shrunk or or there there were a number of stories that um, you researched. You mentioned it. can you tell us about some of those?
1: Yeah, sure. I I should just make the distinction that what I came away from thinking after looking at the scientific evidence is that alternative therapies working through placebo effects and mind body interactions can dramatically shift things in the brain in a way that can change um, your symptoms and can change things that are that are based in the brain so so that's why I, I talk a lot about um, chronic pain in, in the book and then other other symptoms where it can be effective are um, um, fatigue i just i just mentioned and uh, the feeling of like when you have asthma your sense of being able to breathe easier um, these are all in, in depression and anxiety obviously um, but I don't think that Based on what we know from the scientific evidence, that we can use alternative medicine to, at, at least as far as the, the therapies that I looked at, to um, heal cancer. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to discourage anyone who believes that they can, and um, and, and, and generates hope from that. I, I, I don't want to discourage that at all. But in terms of the scientific evidence, it's, it's, you have things happening in the brain, and it's, it's it can't always reach down into the body to change you know, the way an organ functions, for instance. Um, or to unblock arteries, things like that. So so the mind is very powerful, but I I, I'm not advocating for these mind over matter miracles where you could like heal bones or shrink tumors. Right. Things like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But having said that I did encounter <laughs> a lot of interesting stories in the books that I that I wrote about, including ones that were surprising to me. Um, and I wouldn't have expected. So a guy that um, got into a horrible car accident when he was in his late 30s and had a spinal cord injury that left him paralyzed from the neck down. He used um, qigong, which he had practiced as a teenager in high school. And What, what is that? What is that? Type of qigong is, is kind. Of, it's a it's an aspect of traditional Chinese medicine. It's mindful. It's like tai chi, but qigong is okay. a broader term and a bit older. Um, but it's slow, mindful meditative movement. Some some people call it moving meditation. So he used he used this um, diligently. He used it as a belief system. Um, he he believed, he thought about before he could even move any area of his body, he would think about chi moving in his body. Um, moving throughout, he did different exercises, chi-going exercises in his mind, even though he knew his body wasn't moving. He just imagined it. And he did this, Day in and day out, he did it um, in his hot tub in his backyard, so he would have the benefit of zero gravity. And this is all, by the way, something a monk told him to do. He called up the monk the center he used to go to in New York City um, at the time in high school, and the monk. This is all stuff the monk told him. I have no idea how a Chinese monk would have would have known all this, but he, right. Um, so it, and so, eventually, he got some of his movement back a little bit you know, just wiggling of hands. And, and some of that could have been, we don't know, some of it might have been just a spontaneous regeneration, which we know can happen after spinal cord injuries. You can get some of your movement back just naturally. Um, and But he he was extremely diligent about this, so it wasn't an easy process by any stretch. He was out there in his hot tub multiple hours every day doing these exercises over and over again. And, and when he was able to eventually start moving body parts, he started Practicing Tai Chi movements to whatever extent he could in whatever area of his body, and it was amazing. I mean, I met him many years after he was healed. He um, almost looks like—I mean, he does look like someone who you would never know um, had a, a had paralysis and, and couldn't move, and was in a was in a wheelchair for many years. Well, um, he, he fully—he was, was walking. He was fully moving. Yeah, he's teaching Tai Chi and Qigong classes. He looks like you know Jack Lalanne. He's very. Fit and, and wiry, um, even though he's in his late 60s. Um, wow! And uh, he has a few. When I asked him about it, he said he had a few remnants of his of his injury. Like he's very susceptible to cold on his neck because his, his injury was at his neck. Um, he gets sharp shooting pain sometimes, like at night, but not on a very regular basis. And he can't. He also can't write very well um, with his right hand, but. Outside of that, yeah, he's, he's pretty much 100% healed.
0: Did he in turn or does he help others now with that practice,
1: other spinal cord? Yeah, he hasn't. When I, when I was talking with him, he was there were a couple of people with spinal cord injuries who've reached out to him, but none of them had lived um, in his area. He's in Tucson, mm-hmm. so he, he wasn't sure how he was going to actually work with them. But he's, he's worked with people with other neurological problems. Um, like multiple sclerosis, um, folks who've had strokes. And he's he's used uh, his classes. He's worked with them in his classes and one-on-one um, Tai Chi and Qigong to help them r- regain um, better balance, just better mobility. Um, and there's some evidence from um, scientific studies that have been done on Tai Chi in recent years. There's actually very good evidence for Parkinson's disease and for preventing... Um, falls in older people. It gives people a greater sense of balance and it helps uh, Parkinson's patients regain a sense of, uh, you know, just better control over their, over their movements. So there's yeah. some value to these kinds of – mind. It's a, it's, a, it's a mindfulness, right? I'm paying attention yeah. to your body and paying attention to your movements.
0: Did he ever discuss this recovery with his, with his doctor's? Like, do you know if there's any discussion about that, or did you ever have a discussion with the doctors about this?
1: Yeah, many years later, he connected with his doctor. He basically left the hospital he was in for like four months, and then he he started on this qigong stuff because he the the physical therapist they sent he, he was sent to he didn't like their approach at all. He just thought that they were getting him ready for a life of of a wheelchair and you know getting turned to prevent bed sores, and they just didn't think that he was going to have any recovery. And he just always had a sense that he could somehow recover from this. I mean, it was kind of naive and silly, I think. And his wife, who was also injured in the car accident, but didn't have a spinal cord injury, thought he was crazy for doing this. And they eventually split up. But um, but he per- persevered with it. But he pretty much did it on his own. I mean, he had health aides helping him and friends who would come and stay. But he didn't have any medical you know, assistance or advice or wow. or anything, which is amazing. And then years later, I think, I don't know, a couple of years before I contacted him, he decided to reach out to the doctor who had, as he puts it, saved his life when he was in, in the hospital. Um, and he eventually met with him and the doctor was completely blown away and amazed. He had actually, I mean, even though it, was, it was, had been 25 years ago, the doctor remembered him because of some of the interesting details of the case. Like he was towing a, a Ferrari um, on the road with his, with his Bronco and the Ferrari tumbled over um, the highway and there were like belongings everywhere. And so the doctor remembered his his case and his story. And I talked to the doctor a little bit about um, about his recovery.
0: And did they go back and do X rays or, or whatever it was, CAT scans or MRIs to see like were new pathways actually created or was there actual healing that they detected? You know, yeah, he, he, did did to,
1: he did go back for some some X rays in recent years, yeah. But but I think we, we know something of or we can we can infer something about that from some of the interesting research that's been done about the neurobiology of the, uh, or the neuroregenerative possibilities of the nervous system. And I, and I talked to a number of spinal cord researchers about this, that there's much, they have much more hope now that they, they want to, and they hope is filtering down to doctors in the field, but um, there's much more hope for spinal regeneration after spinal cord injuries. The belief is that there is, when you have an injury, a lot of the cells and the spinal cord die, which prevents the signal from going through to the rest of your body. But the thinking is, for many people, probably not everyone, unfortunately, but for many people, there are still neurons. Some of these cells are, are not dead. They're just asleep, for lack of a better word. And if you can find a way to wake up these neurons so that they start sending signals and establishing connections to other neurons, then you can get signals about movement down through the rest of the body, and start regenerating and regenerating. And in the same way that we know about the plasticity of the brain and how the the brain can continue to form new connections throughout life, the thinking is that the spinal cord can also do this. So I think when I thought about that and I looked at some of that research and talked to these researchers, I started to think how this guy, his name was Joe, did that in a very low-tech way. I mean, these researchers are Mm -hmm. using spinal cord implants to to do this. where they actually go in and put a stimulator in your spinal cord to start sending those signals to the to try and wake up those neurons. He's I thought about how he's doing it in a very low tech way using his brain and his thoughts and imagined movement and the intention of moving and sending all those signals through through his spinal cord.
0: It's Such an amazing story. It's, yeah. So it's so inspiring too to just to
1: think of what what's possible if you believe what's possible yeah. i guess exactly and belief was essential to it if he hadn't believed in qigong and in this idea of qi in his body and in the regenerative power of his body he never would have and he, it wasn't by no means easy i mean he said it, there were days where he felt super depressed and just wanted to end his life you know because yeah. he couldn't go out and do anything um but if he hadn't had that belief he wouldn't he wouldn't have stuck with it for seven years I mean, I, I guess the, the, the story
0: behind that, or the moral behind that for all of these stories is that mind over matter is so important regardless of, you know, going into something with a positive attitude can only have a positive effect. Regardless yes. of whether you, be, the, the extent of which of the effect is going to be, but
1: it's just, it's nothing else that teaches us that. Exactly. And in this case, it it changed his behavior. Right? Mm-hmm. If he had had a different belief, he wouldn't have yeah. done those things. So the positive belief led him toward the positive behaviors.
0: Do you have any other story that may stick out, You know, something like that, a, a, a similar story that sort of affected you after all this research?
1: Well, I mean, one that I, I never met this woman, and it was just a story that a researcher told me, but I just, I loved it for its, you know, its uh, unexpectedness. He he was a, um, he worked for many years as a physical therapist, and he became uh, a neuroscientist and a chronic pain researcher, who still still works with patients. And he said a number of years ago, a woman came to him, um, you know, typical issues with with back pain and was in a wheelchair and she hadn't she hadn't been moving around for years. She had, she'd had back pain for about ten years, um, and other health problems. And he talked to her about his his approach. She's a a big proponent of trying to get people moving again, changing their mindset around pain, not giving into. to... Uh, he has a, a video I just watched online called Taming the Beast. You know, he doesn't... You don't want to give power to pain and you
0: mm-hmm.
1: change the way you think about it and what it's saying about your body. Change that. So anyway, he, he talked to her all about that and even gave her a few exercises did his usual thing and sent her off and said, okay, see you in a couple weeks. When she came back to see him in a few weeks, she was out of the wheelchair, like, you know, walking for almost, you know, not completely normally, but pretty good, like had a, you know, smile on her face. And he thought, Oh my God, you're, this is, you know, what did you do thinking like, Oh, I must be pretty good. She took my advice and improved so much. And he, she told him as what had happened that she had gone to see her sister's clairvoyant, which I guess we would call a, a psychic here. This is in Australia, the, the researcher and the, the woman, and she had been waiting for six months to, to see this woman, who I guess is pretty pretty popular in that city in Australia. And she had had a whole session with this, this woman um, where she felt that, you know, there were certain things about her life that, you know, resonated with her. She connected with this woman. And at the end, they didn't talk at all about her back or her health issues. Um, at the end, the woman just looked at her, kind of locked eyes, and said, "Your name is Janet. Janet, there's nothing wrong with your back. And the next morning, as as this researcher told me, and as was told to him by this woman, she woke up and felt that her back felt better than it had in in 10 years. Um, The pain was almost completely gone. She felt like a different person. And his view was that there wasn't, this clairvoyant was right in a sense, there wasn't anything wrong with her back, nothing substantial. There wasn't anything physiologically so destructive that she had to be in pain for all those years and it was just something that her brain needed to believe it needed to believe that her body was okay and she didn't need to be in pain the pain was no longer necessary and it was that thing i mean that and that wouldn't have and that kind of instantaneous healing they're they are pretty rare um and it certainly wouldn't have worked for most people that have back pain but for her at that moment that experience just un, some, unlocked something and uh Caused a huge transformation, and I
0: wonder how a doctor reconciles with that too. You know, so when she goes back, and and I'm curious just about the discussion that day. You know, when she comes back, and and how they both have to come to terms, and again, a meeting of the minds about how she
1: recovered. Yeah, well, that's how he thought of it. I mean, he he wasn't thinking, oh, that this mm-hmm. person she went to see. Um put her discs back into place, or realigned her spine or healed a fracture or whatever it was that somebody might have seen on her her x-rays at some point in time. That's not, that, that's not what happened. It just that her belief changed. It was and, and how do we change our beliefs? I mean, it's we don't snap our fingers and decide, okay, well, I don't believe this anymore. it's It's a mysterious process. Sometimes we have to work at it for a long time. And sometimes it can just be like like that. Somebody says something to you in the right moment, yeah. Um, and there it is. So he th- so he he didn't you know he told it to me, and he followed up with her for for he said like five five years afterwards, and her pain pain never came back. Really? So yeah, and he you know he he's a scientist and a researcher. He didn't think it was. He thought it was an amazing story, but he didn't think it was some sort of supernatural m- miracle or anything, you know. He, he had a sort of a reasonable explanation of what probably happened.
0: I, I, Molly, I can't believe we're almost out of time right now. I could talk about this forever. It is so fascinating. And I, along with everybody, so grateful that you did this research and did this book on a topic that is so prevalent and so interesting and so mysterious and so intriguing. I don't know how you wrap your, your mind around it all because there's just so much out there. But I think maybe two important things to walk away with is, you know, and, and you mentioned this, that always, you know, you, you have to go to the doctor. You can't just assume this will be the cure-all. It's always being thorough and diligent in, in seeking medical attention as well. But then again, I guess it's also to never give up the positive encouragement and belief that there are other things out there as well and that the positivity is already a step in the right direction to healing or curing or recovery.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well put. <laughs> but, so Melanie, how can we all get this book? Oh, it's available everywhere. Books are sold. So Amazon, um, if, if people are lucky enough to live near an independent bookstore, which in New York, I think they are, uh, probably available there. Um, libraries probably have it um and then there's links to different things on my website which is com.
0: i can't thank you enough for coming on tonight and uh i i look forward to whatever you're doing in the future because i want to hear more about it and i'd love to talk more about this as well in the future and uh, again you all know where to get melanie's book melanie warner's book the magic feather the science of alternative medicine and the surprising power of Belief, and it's- In today's day and age and with everything going on, isn't it just a great message to believe and be positive and to think things are going to be okay? So I think if nothing else, I already feel better about everything other than that. So thank you for everything. Thank you for coming on. And I look forward to talking to you in the future soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was lots of fun. Thank you. And everyone out there, thanks for listening tonight. And we'll see you next week. Good night, everyone. If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Hi, I'm Janice Ian. Do you remember how excited you were at the start of summer every year and how the summer just started to drag on after a few months and you couldn't wait to get back to school, see your old friends, make new friends, get new books and a new locker and a clean slate?
1: Well, you should have been excited about music class too because that was a special room where you went to sing, perform with your friends and learn all kinds of interesting stuff about great composers, instruments, different kinds of music and songs. We remember our music teachers because they were so passionate about helping us learn to love music. They helped to spark a love for listening to notes and voices and rhythms that continues to enrich our lives even today. I bet your kids feel the same way about music class. Ask them and make sure they get involved with music in school and in
0: their lives. A PSA brought to you by MENC, the National Association for Music Education, and the National Anthem Project, the campaign to restore America's voice through music
1: education. Music part of a sound education. Hi, I'm Danny Ayala. You may know me as an actor, but one of the things that I'm most proud of is my service to this country. In the Army, I saw firsthand how training and discipline instill the values that create great leadership abilities and a can-do spirit. Those same strong values stay with service members when they return to civilian life and enter the workplace. So, remember to hire smart and bet on a vet.
0: To learn more, call 888-44-SALUTE.